0: the first part of the question sometimes it'll feel like you'll go through really clear distinct understandings and insights and it'll feel linear other times uh, there'll be a speed up and and like the underst- the the experience and the understanding will be so quick one can go through all of those vipassana jhanas in like Several mind moments. And, you know, it's like not necessarily that you would know. You know, now that you've heard it, uh, you might have some context for it, but I never, I never really listened to much in my practice for many years. <laughs> and I would, you know, it's like I would have these times where the, there would be these speed ups and shifts uh, that have nothing to do with time. You know, so sometimes it'll feel like it's a very linear process, but other times it, there's sudden, huge shifts uh, that are that are very quick. Uh, it's hard to hold the paradox of that. You know, there are a lot of paradoxes in in depth, and so there there is something to do with time in terms of the practice. Certain things do ripen gradually but within that ripening there will be these sudden shifts and they usually happen suddenly Um, The second part of the question (coughs) 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 What? Uh, barely, let's see (laughs) I remember something about conscious knowing (laughs) That what?
1: A conscious is there, a conscious knowing force that lets us experience as much depth as we're ready for.
0: It it all has to do with the ripening of understanding. You know, so it's really. You know, this very gradual deepening of the understanding. You know, it, I suppose you could think of it in terms of how much we're able to see aversion and attachment so clearly that we're willing to let it go. And, and in that willingness to let it go, there's just, you know, the, the depth of experience that comes from being in the present moment is so profound, you know, so the wisdom comes from uh, the depth of the experience that comes from just flowing in the moment and seeing clearly. And it's, it comes from that seeing clearly enough, the attachment and the aversion, uh, to let it go. You know, so that has something to do with readiness, but I see the readiness so clearly connected to our understanding. And that can speed up. <laughs> you know, That doesn't have to feel like a long, linear process at times. Uh, that's why a three-month retreat is so powerful, because in this period of time, uh, two months to three months, You'll feel there's an acceleration uh, of of a lot of understanding, and the conditions. A lot has to do with having the right conditions. So you have created, you know, the, we it's such perfect conditions for the deepening of understanding, and it's wonderful at this point to be sitting, listening to you coming in for interviews, and in this. Wisdom is just pouring out, you know. <laughs> you know, and it's it's so inspiring to see, you know, that we all have that inside, and it's just a matter of tapping into it. Um,
2: Intensity in of, you
3: know, Question?
0: Yeah, sort of. Um. I'll try to sum it up. The question is about uh, when he went to bed last night. There was a great fear of dying, or, or, and there was a sense that if he closed his eyes and went to sleep, he was not trusting that he would wake up in the morning. And there was this tremendous fear of death. Uh, and this this morning in the sitting, there was another uh, bout of this fear but he felt like he could work with it. But last night it felt like he couldn't. Mm. In some ways it's not that we're going to get out of the fear of death, (laughs) Uh, because until you die (laughs) I think there's usually a fear of death that comes up. It's much more that one learns how to get into the experience, rather than to get out of the experience. Uh, so it's it's being able to really drop into the physical sensations, like you were doing, and experience them as fully as you can. Uh, being really careful of any of the content of the thinking, and this is this is the hardest thing. It's it's usually easy for us to drop into the physical sensations but if there's just the slightest belief in the content of the thinking it really pulls us out of the trust you know it's like um, if you can live through one birth of a breath and then the death of a breath there's no guarantee that you're going to take another breath you know, and we have this kind of arrogance or complacency that we think that somehow we know when we're gonna die. You know, it it's like somehow it's not this moment, you <laughs> know, somehow it's not a year from now or whatever. We have this real it's an arrogance about it's a the Buddha called it the vanity of life. And it, it's so uh What's interesting is that the more we face this fear, which is really difficult, you know, especially if you get a diagnosis, you know, it's like much harder to work with it. Uh, and it's this is the crux of the human predicament: is the fear of death. It can be inspiring. It can be. Uh, You know, if we use it, it brings us a lot to more and more life. It helps us. If we're afraid of dying, you know, two minutes from now. If you really thought you might die two minutes from now, you would really be awake. You know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't fall asleep. You know, it's very energizing. (laughs) Uh, And that's. It's. It's important to remember that when we think we're just gonna. It's not going to happen to us. We're going to live forever. We tend to just get very dull and complacent. We don't appreciate the preciousness, the mystery. You know, we don't know. We have no idea. <laughs> the truth is, we never know what's going to happen. We never know when we're going to die. Uh, and that, that to face that fear is, is what the whole practice is about. Mm-hmm. sensations, it's fine, but if the heart's beating faster and faster, and the thought comes, "Oh, this is bad," <laughs> you know, "Oh, this is this is it," <laughs> you know, that's 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 the dilemma. It's being able to see a thought just as a thought, that it's. And the more you can, at this point in the retreat, get the stillness to really see how insubstantial they are, you know, they're just this endless, (laughs) you know, morass uh, that are so thin, you know, they're just like the edge of a bubble, you know, if you look real closely, they don't have any substance. And the real freedom comes from seeing, you know, you can have the thought, you know, The rug is red. You know, the wall is brown. Those are very neutral. I might die tomorrow. You know, (laughs) that has less neutrality for us. (laughs) But they're all just thoughts, you know. The question is about ta- uh, oneness and union and its relationship to emerging, emerging stages of enlightenment. Stages of enlightenment. The, when you see a thought as insubstantial, or if you see the body as just changing elements, if you see a sound coming and going, often the insight is about uh, is seeing the insubstantiality of experience itself, but how universal it is. So often, you know, the the practice of Apassana practice is helping us understand that wisdom tells me I'm nothing. You know, but it's understanding that it's all insubstantial and that from that insubstantiality we tend to let go of experience. on deeper and deeper levels. We see that it's not going to be satisfying in and of itself. And within the Vipassana practice there are times when the the attention really meets an experience fully. Uh, Say there'll be a feeling of experiencing the fire alarm in the body. I'm sure <laughs> it was hard not to experience <laughs> the fire alarm in the body. It's like you're so open, and you you know you'll have that sense that it's not out there. You know that there's this there's this flowing of sensation, thought. You know that w- the boundary of what we call I is very again it's just a perce- misperception. So the vipassana practice can also see how. Help us see how interconnected everything is. Uh, and ultimately, like in a very deep experience, you'll have the sense of interconnectedness and nothingness. To, you know, it's like it flows together. You know, there'll be this, uh, it's like there's no difference. It's like mindfulness and metta come together. We're not trying to develop an understanding where we feel like nothingness means that we're not connected. The understanding helps us feel totally interconnected. So I hope you have some glim- glimpses of that
1: today. Are... <laughs> general enough so that they they can cover a whole range of possibilities. You know, when we wish for people to be free from harm, for example, that can cover the whole range from, you know, being confronted by an elephant in India (laughs) to to full liberation. Or we wish for someone's mental happiness. It covers everything from a little bit of temporary peace to a loving heart themselves to being liberated. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 sure. I would neither discount them nor ardently pursue them. The, the word might, in fact, be in kind of an intuition about something that is associated with that physical sensation because there are a lot of emotions and memories and so on at times associated with physical sensations, not necessarily always, but at times. And so it might be the beginning of some. Kind of recognition, but um I wouldn't latch onto to it as an interpretation because then the mind will just go off into some sort of solidification. you know this must be guilt about that, and I deserve to be guilty about that because after all, you know it was a really rotten thing to do, and you know I'm a really <laughs> terrible person, and just kind of you know uh it it will go off quite um lengthily at times, That's a big story. yeah, a great big story, <laughs> you know, and so uh. It's better just to notice that as well. Notice the word come up, let it come and go, and stay very gently with the physical sensation and just see what happens. Yeah. Make a choice to sacrifice himself. Um, I think the point of the story is not to provide a moral imperative, you know, that uh, one must never be able to choose, but merely to show the power of metta. You know, in a lot of those Jataka stories, the Buddha. They're illustrations of th- qualities like generosity, you know, and patience. And um, But the power of metta is to melt barriers between beings and classes of beings, and so it's, it just points to the oneness that we begin to appreciate. Yeah. I don't think so, actually. Uh, the phrase as, I think, chungpa Rinpoche first Expressed it of idiot compassion um, is a state of compassion without wisdom. You know, there, there's so many different qualities in the Buddhist teaching that are often talked about being developed um, and needing to be brought into balance. And uh, so, in this sense, compassion and wisdom need to be brought into balance for it not to be idiot compassion. There needs to be a certain skill. Uh, and a range, perhaps, of skillful means to express that compassion so that we're not uh, just kind of blundering our way along without realizing what it is that will help somebody be happy. You know, it's wisdom that provides that insight, um, and it's compassion that moves us to try to implement that in some way. No, no. I mean, it, it might be that there is nothing to be done. <laughs> you know, but that uh, you are moved to compassion. Anyway, whether you are in that moment experiencing compassion or sorrow, which is its near enemy, is something really for you to investigate. You know, only you can tell. It's not clear from the outside simply because tears come up in your eyes or, you know, something like that. Only you can tell whether you feel in some way overcome by that situation, or you feel um, kind of the fullness of compassion, you know. So, so that's something for you to see. The direct um, practice that we have that allows for uh, greater boundaries is equanimity, and that's what the equanimity practice is about. Um, both the equanimity that develops naturally in the course of doing vipassana, because it will and also the specific equanimity practice as the last of the Brahma Viharas is perfectly designed to be able to feel metta or compassion or sympathetic joy and at the same time have some set of boundaries or balance. You know, Equanimity is balance of mind. It's that kind of spacious stillness that allows us to be with something but be at peace at the same time. So the example of equanimity that's often used is um, if you know somebody who's engaged in very self-destructive behavior, you may and should send them a great deal of metta out of your loving heart and your uh, human values, You know, to send them metta, to send them compassion. But there needs to be a kind of understanding that if they continue to engage in that self-destructive behavior, they're not going to be happy no matter how much you sit and send the metta, the recognition that in the end it's up to them and their choices doesn't mean that you don't send the metta. you know, you still open and care, but it's done with the recognition that they have to be responsible for their own choices. And you need to let go in some way and not demand or expect that things are going to be a certain way. So it's a balance. Oh yes, yeah. I think this week we'll uh, move on to sympathetic joy, and do the best we can (laughs) for a couple of weeks, and then we'll do equanimity at the end. I mean, it is a difficult quality. Um, So, uh, but again, you know, as with the metta, I'd really encourage you to do the practice because it makes a difference. You know, even if you do it and you don't feel, oh wow, I'm so glad they're happy you know it's still it's just the same principle of planting those karmic seeds and over time you will see some change and so especially in this one which can be the most difficult for people um, it takes a certain earnestness you know and trust just to do it and do it and do it and see what happens yeah mm-hmm. Overcome by someone's pain, or you know something is happening uh, along those lines, then doing metta for oneself is quite good. You know, it's it's almost like um, it's the reminder, like uh, we did at one point in sending metta to the difficult person, is also the possibility of sending metta to yourself and the difficult person at the same time, because. Often our minds will say, well, if I'm sending metta to them, it means that I'm going to be denied in some way. You know, I'm, I'm going to lose out. And it's just a reminder that it doesn't have to be that way. Inherently, it's not that way. You know, that's just a, an interpretation we put on the experience. And so um, if you feel in some way like you're slipping from compassion into grief, for example, it's a good time to send metta to yourself you know, and, and feel the energy of that. Okay,
3: let's walk. Thank you. I don't know if I remember. Uh, The lift is the same. You're dividing the forward movement into two. So it's lift, uh, like lift, move, swing. And then the two, three. I don't remember. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I've done it for. Uh, well, that's something else. There is also a way of dividing the movement into six, which I have done for many, many hours. <laughs> I'll put a note on the board. <laughs> it really is another way of understanding karma. So it's it's really not different. But it's, it's highlighting one aspect of karma, which are the forces of purity in the mind. Um, in terms of sharing merit, what that means is Um, It's really an expression in a way of metta. You know, and in the same way that metta has an influence on the environment, on other beings around us. So when we're sharing merit, for example, at the end of the sitting, that act of generosity. That act of loving kindness, that act of connection, or we're connecting, or uh, we're connecting ourselves with all others in that gift, uh, has an influence. In the very traditional texts, you know, in the classical texts, it talks about how there are beings on other planes who actually know when we're doing this, you know, and. Some in the higher realms, some in the lower realms, which is why it's uh, it's given a lot of uh, of emphasis because it actually can uh, create a good effect for beings in suffering. It's said that when these beings know that we're sharing merit, that induces in them a wholesome state of mind, and that's actually. How they uh, reap the benefit, so it's not that merit goes from us to them, you know, and somehow they uh, are experiencing the fruit of our actions, but they're appreciating or having a, a good state of mind from knowing that we're doing that, from knowing that we're feeling that matter. Um, there's a lot of mystery in this universe. <laughs> there really is I mean. You know, we live in a very narrow spectrum of understanding in terms of everything that's going on, and levels of interconnectedness, and the power of mind, the power of thought. Um, so it's just to keep that in mind. There's there's a lot we don't yet know in terms of understanding the effect of our actions, both good and bad. Uh, and I think. To the degree that we begin to open up to the understanding that our actions do have powerful effects, sometimes in quite mysterious ways, we begin to take more care with what we do. and, And the sharing of merit, the dedication of merit is one way. Trying to attain some level of samadhi, it's fine. The mm-hmm. other
2: question is totally unrelated, but I'm very curious about the process of note taking and right now of experience with it, and
3: Is there I think, obviously more? Mostly I see it as a process of uh, just helping the mind remember what happened for the sake of reporting, uh, so that you don't have to kind of keep carrying in your mind I would keep it very brief because it really could it's the idea of it is not journal keeping. I mean that's not the that's not the reason behind it to have a, a record, you know, a journalistic record of your experience. Uh, it's really just some some notes uh, to remember what the highlights of the sitting were. It's always different. You know, and to try to, to try to fix a model of how in your mind of how it should be or is going to be for you is a setup for dukkha. It is. And having fallen into that trap endless times, I know it well. You know, of, because it creates a kind of expectation that, oh, this should be happening. It's not. You know, and so I'm very wary of fixing uh, fixing any rigid model. The, the motivation behind the talk was, as I mentioned briefly, but perhaps didn't emphasize enough, was not to encourage you to figure out where you were in the process. Because that's very frustrating and usually our assessment is wrong anyway. It was more for the sense of laying out just a range of experiences that can happen, so that as you go through different kinds of experience, there's a certain context for understanding. You see that uh, it takes you. It takes you out of. Um, I would say this: it gives a bigger framework for understanding what might be happening, rather than trying to place yourself, you know, in a certain in a certain uh, progression. So I would just be wary, and let it unfold. One of the one of the changes that I've gone through in over the years of practice is moving from the model of, I'm here and I want to get to there, you know, sort of that reaching out to the sense of being here and letting it flower. And it's, a, it's a very different energy for practice. It's not so much of a striving or a gaining energy. It's still realizing there is a maturing, there is an opening, but it's all happening out of the moment, right? And my experience of that is there's much less self in that. Right? It's a much more, it's sort of honoring the organic process of the Dharma. Uh, the, in the first edition of my book, The Experience of Insight, the, uh, what do you call it, the subtitle, not subtitle, The uh, Whatever it's called, a natural unfolding. You know, and I always liked that phrase, and it very much reflected my own experience in practice. You sit and walk, and sit and walk, and sit and walk, and mysteriously, magically, somehow, there's a natural unfolding. So be wary of models. Question about all these realms. All these realms are. Also. You can think of karma in terms of unwholesome karma, which leads to suffering. Wholesome, a kind of wholesome karma, which leads to happiness within samsara. But then there's also the wholesome karma which leads to liberation, which is freedom from the samsaric realms, and that's really what we're engaged in. It's about that also, I mean, it's also about living in the world, renouncing certain unskillful actions. Okay, any question I can answer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this First, it's to understand that the question is a skillful means. It's not for the purpose of getting an answer. It's really for a purpose of investigation. Uh, you know, another way of, or another way of framing that, which in some way is uh, sort of the Buddhist equivalent of "Who am I?" is in terms of being with each moment's experience, not this, not this, not this, not this, not this, not this. Because every moment of experience is another moment of conditioned, impermanent, insubstantial, selfless experience. So we're not the thought, not the sensation, not the sound. Now, what was that line from T.S. Eliot? Costing not less than everything, and that, that really captured sort of the radical nature, not anything. So in any moment, can we... Pshh, I think I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> get away when the getting's good. <laughs> One announcement, please.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> to send
4: metta to someone who has deceased because she'd heard something about metta being so attractive that the deceased, something or other, hangs around wherever it has, feels metta. Um, the texts say that uh, in doing metta to develop concentration jhana practice, one should not use a deceased person. And I'm not aware of commentary or instructions when doing metta to develop kusala, or good deeds. If one understands that the person who has deceased, who has died, has been reborn somewhere, and in the pervasion of metta, we are pervading metta to that stream of consciousness, wherever it may have taken up existence, then I don't see any danger in that. But I don't know. uh, You know? I don't... In, in actual fact, in a moment of developing metta, none. Uh, in developing metta for jhana, one goes through a very systematic and comprehensive um, training to really develop certain qualities of mind and, and uh, recognition of uh, depths of concentration, etc but in the actual pervasion of uh, bringing someone to mind uh, wishing them to be happy uh, pain free stress free healthy same same actual pervasion pervasion and well wishing it's just in the continuity and the um, training of the mind I think if we understand renunciation as a practice and a training then those two situations that you offered are equal. They offer us the opportunity to train the mind to let go. And depending on where you find yourself in understanding energy determination, you may be more diligent or less diligent in that particular practice of letting go of what you crave, or what you're attached to, or your ideas about yourself, etc. And when we understand it as a training, then there's never any failures. And because there's... it's not like you can't recognize the nature of your mind, even if you do eat the piece of cake or whatever. You still, the whole purpose of it is to raise one's awareness, heighten one's sensitivity to oh, where am I attached? Where am I craving? Where do I lose it? Where do I? Space out, where do I fall into some unconscious habit that really has a pretty solid sense of I around it? And to bring whatever we can, and in this case, the power of renunciation, the power of setting the mind on a course of going without, letting go, etc., then every situation will bring that to mind. will heighten one's sensitivity to, here I am, and just the recognition of, I have a choice, is where mindfulness really brings us to, the point of, I have a choice, and then how we choose, we recognize the consequences. So I think that either one of those, uh, you know, having a a long-term Uh, idea of something that you could do behaviorally to heighten your sensitivity, or in the moment, any particular thing that brings that awareness of, oh, I can go without, and for any number of reasons. It can be compassion for yourself, it can be the joy of someone else who gets the coffee cake. Or whatever. and can be any number of reasons. But the actual practice is one of the awakening to the solidification around, I need, I want, and being able to let go of that. And in the process, not just letting go of the cake, but letting go of that sense of I. That's the real renunciation in every moment of letting go. Letting go of that constellated solidification around I, I need, I want, I whatever, you let go. It's, if it was only letting go of the cake, why bother? If it's letting go of that sense of I, I think we understand the benefit of that. The eye that doesn't get the cake? Mm. One's mindfulness stops at the point of, I gave up the cake, and then it picks it up again. Oh, poor me, self-pity, and there's another constellated sense of I there, which if the mindfulness is really present, and the renunciation isn't just a punishing behavior, then I think that that awareness of I, giving up cake, doesn't reconstitute another I, oh poor me. But it takes, you know, the I is pretty pernicious, it's, it's pretty demanding of attention. And Just because we give up one thing doesn't mean that it's going to not show up the next moment and demand attention. So we have to be really diligent in noticing every arising one after the other. No. Good. We ask people to take the five precepts, mm-hmm. and those who wish can take the additional three, including the adornment uh, precept. And we also have rules or community rules. One of which is, please don't use uh, scented products because of sensitivity and. Uh, if one wants to consider it a renunciation, then it could be. It's also a very um, skillful rule for living in community, like this, where we're in very close contact, and we are training ourselves to be very sensitive. And whatever collective agreements we can... Uh, bring and support, make it possible for all of us to be here as comfortably as possible and uh, to not unduly uh, disturb each other. And it's not, frankly, it's not a big deal to go without uh, adornment of scent. Is it? (laughs) In fact, it is difficult for some people. We might take that as a instruction to just really notice the nature of the body. And when you don't use sense, to cover up the true nature of the body. Dukkha becomes apparent. It does. You know, the Buddha didn't mince any words. He just said, look at the true nature of the body, you won't want to hang on too long. Nine o'clock, time to practice, please. Continue with your mindfulness. The issue
2: is um, seeing that the investment of energy into the pretension is also a defense against feeling what's painful. Clear to you? The investment we put into Showing our bright side is a defense against feeling, being mindful of, and integrating our dark side. Okay. <laughs> yeah. my case, in, in oneself's case, may I be able to enjoy my happiness and success. May I continue to enjoy my happiness and success so that it's just as we can attune to our sorrows so too we can attune to our joy and sort of touch that place in us that also knows joy. To lift both of those feelings of, of uh, self unworthiness and that never having enough acquisitiveness, you know, to see those and recognize those, what energetically do they feel like in the mind and in the body? You know, mindfulness will bring that back into balance, and and we, well, we all have, there's a legitimate connection with our life of joy, and with what we receive, and feeling, feeling that, connecting with that, enjoying that. And uh, it's important to be able to do it to ourselves. Yeah. At one Metta retreat that we were teaching, um, when we were discussing the subjects for Mudita, one woman said that she couldn't find anyone else more successful or happy than herself, which was really interesting because um, you know, in, in this culture, this, we're sort of bred with competition and its uh, attendant jealousies and envies, and uh, as well as what you're pointing out, this, do I deserve to be happy and successful? So it's really, it was really it's powerful when someone connects with their own right to be joyous. Working with, with, with
1: the and the, the most skillful means is that is my